Hello and welcome to another episode of Ideaprov. I'm your host, Mike Pedersen, and um, have a really, I think a really applicable uh, theme today. But before we get into it, I want to introduce my co-creator for the show. Her name is Greta. Met her through a mutual friend and, you know, had a, had a video chat, you know, because in, in the age of COVID and we just kind of, uh, we clicked on a, on a level that was very, you know, insightful for one another. So I thought, you know, let's get together, let's do, do, have a show and put some good out in the world. So Greta, how are you? How's your day been? What's it looking like for you? I'm doing very good. Thank you so much for having me on this. Um, it was a good day because today I got to stay at home. The whole week I've been ripping and running. I've been going to different appointments. I've been writing and so it was a nice quiet day at home I got some work done and I've been looking forward to our chat it's always nice to, to have those days in which you feel really productive uh, I, it, it was the same way with me this morning for some reason I just kind of woke up got in the groove and um, was really like on fire knocking out my to-do list for the first little bit um, but anyway, before we get into the theme and, and the topic for today, I want to give you a, a couple of moments to kind of share some, you know, kind of what's been passionate for you in the last, you know, six to eight months or, or farther back. And I think you were talking about like caregiving and stuff like that. So, so speak to us a little bit about like, what's, what's that like for you? So my mother's 92 years old and she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's back in 2012. I was active duty military at the time, and I was, we were both stationed in Hawaii. She came to live with me. And that was just a roller coaster for me. Um, since that time, when we moved here in um, Florida, last year she lost her mobility, so she's now bedridden. And so I have a professional caregiver that comes Monday through Friday, um, eight, you know, eight hours a day to help me. That's why I can still be productive and do my errands and appointments and things like that. I retired last year. But just the emotional trauma of seeing my mother, you know, decline in a place that, you know, I never really planned for it to be like this. And then just the, the nonstop battles of dealing with insurance, you know, dealing with caregiving agencies. Because prior to COVID, I would be able to leave on the weekends because I got her qualified for Medicaid. And uh, all of the professional caregivers that come aren't necessarily professional. And so going through that whole spill of having new people come into your house, it, it was just really eye-opening. And so it, it led me to start writing a, a devotional caregiver for caregivers such as myself because my faith is very important to me and if it weren't for the faith I don't know where I'd be or where mama would be because I'd probably be in an asylum but I started writing the caregiving devotionals for people like me but I finished that one and now I'm actually working on one for uh, a devotional for professional caregivers um, taking scripture and applying it to the particular season of caregiving in our lives as a family or the profession whether you've chose it as a profession or maybe this is just a stopgap measure but still based on our faith how we're supposed to tackle this particular season in our lives and so that has helped me tremendously so the days 
aren't as gloomy and as gray as you know people were predicting because you have people who like to give you a lot of advice and it can scare the crud out of you and so I'm I'm in a good place my mother's in a good place she's not called my name in over a year but I can tell when she recognizes me when she looks at me you know that and that's not every day but but I can tell and so I'm truly blessed that I'm able to have her here at home with me especially during COVID and you remember the beginning of COVID where the nursing homes you know had to stop visitation from family members and as you get older studies have proven being social having fellowship with other people that actually prolongs your life and so being isolated from your loved one that's just not a good place to be but every day I get to see my mama and she gets to see me and so that's a blessing. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think, you know, you brought about the social piece and I think there's a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot of value in that, you know, for a lot of people, just especially in the age of COVID, like you were talking about, people just get so isolated and will have the ability to talk. But um, I remember I came across an article Apparently, there's a, a small village in Japan where the majority of the population is 100 years or older, and they're all together, and they go out and they do things, and they go shopping together, and they have little groups and clubs of, you know, the guys get together and do things, the women get together and play games, whatever the case is. But, you know, that social interaction and consistent routine along with good exercise, good diet and stuff like that, you know, that, there's there's got to be something to it when you have people that are doing it for well into their hundreds, you know, so obviously there's there's a reason, you know. It's to, interesting to that you mentioned Japan because I was stationed in Japan. And so the, um, the island is Okinawa where they have the largest um, sedimentarian, I, I think that's the correct term, the phrase. Um, and it is, it's their diet, the way they eat, and they're very social and they're very active. I mean, we kind of like to put our elders out to pasture. <laughs> But that's not how it's supposed to be done. And you think about maybe 30, 40 years ago, we had kind of the, it takes a village to raise a child, but it took a village to actually care for everyone. And so we didn't send parents to the nursing home. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. Sometimes that's what you have to do. Um, but there were more people who lived in the home. And so children grew up with their grandparents and you know that whole generational knowledge and fellowship and, and relationship was really fostered. And I think we're getting away from that um, as a society now. Yeah, the whole like bringing everybody up into a village. You know, I, I remember when um, I was a little bit younger going to high school, a lot of uh, my friends and family had their entire families together. And it's one of the things that there's, I partly wish um, you know, also being part of a military family, our family travel together, so that unit is, is super strong with us. Um, but with, goodness, on both sides of the family, over 40 first cousins and, you know, grandparents and stuff, I wasn't able to, to always interact, but I know my parents did the best that they could to get us around our grandparents and whatever, as much as we could. So I'm super happy with that. And I'm super happy for you to be able to spend, you know, all these moments with with her you know still because um, a lot of people don't yeah I realize it's a blessing and so that's where I look at it now sometimes there are days where you say remember this is a blessing I'll be like oh yeah that's right <laughs> but for the most part it is so so for the things that you're writing down um, just to kind of wrap it out is there um, is there a medium that you plan to be able to, to write down and share these teachings yes. with? Like, for example, yes. a book or a podcast, a TV yes. show? All of it, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
everywhere. Actually, so the devotionals will be books, two books, one for family caregivers such as myself and then the professional caregivers. And so I'm hoping to get that published one day. Um, I, I don't want to go... Uh, self-publishing because to me it's a lot of work because then I have to do the marketing and I have it and I know I don't know how to do that so I'm really looking for a publisher but I also um, will be starting a blog not a blog but a podcast in January called caregiving as a ministry where I will speak for 20 minutes and just give encouragement through scripture for anyone who's a caregiver for the for that particular week wonderful that's that's the type of stuff and the and the good the good words that I think people could use on a daily basis. It doesn't have to be a lot, it doesn't have to be a long, just, you know, like you're talking about, 20 minutes, 10 minutes or something like that, because that could be the little nudge that people can can get over. So um, we'll definitely, you know, let me know. We can definitely um, take that podcast information, add it, to, add it to this, so that way people can be able to find you and, and share the good word and stuff like that. So, so with, um, you were talking about that, the, the generational piece and how people are, um, might not have that in the home as much as and more often, which kind of brings us to our theme and topic for for today, which is, you know, we're looking at the landscape of people with shopping and just consumers in general, right? And shopping is becoming easier via the mobile app, delivery, um, suggestions, you know, advanced marketing, geolocation, all this kind of stuff. So how do we teach better consumer habits to children so that way, they can just be better consumers of, you know, products and stuff like that and not be consistently inundated. So the first the first thought that I had, you know, when kind of massaging this topic in my head was I think we have to teach children the value of kind of money and, and what where money comes from, how it's made, um, how it can appreciate or depreciate and and. and use it as a tool to be able to get things, but be responsible with it at the same time. How to do that is, is challenging, I understand, and that's what we're here kind of here to talk about. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's that function of money first and foremost, so that way they understand that, hey, this is your $5 or your $10 or your allowance or whatever. Um, do you really want to spend it on lollipops yes. and mobile apps or whatever, or do you want to invest <laughs> today it? Today I do. <laughs> today I do. You know, it's because I want it. You know, and it's, it's, I mm -hmm. want it right now. Like, um, so is it the money piece? Is it do we have to teach them about deferred gratification? Um, I don't know. What's your thoughts initially? I I think it's a, a combination of things. One, I do think they need to be taught the value of money and what money is. And with our society now, with everything moving toward this digital age, you don't have that concept or they won't have that concept of money because everything is seen through online. You have a credit card. And so the tangibility of having money in your pocket per se, you know, when you had $5, you'd have to give a dollar to the clerk. Okay, I may be dating myself. You know, I had to give <laughs> I had to give a dollar to the clerk and then that would leave me with four. So I could visibly see the depreciation of my money. That's harder to do now because everything is online and you can do Zelle and, and through Cash App, you can just pay people and stuff. And so it's a combination of teaching them the value of money, helping them understand banking. 
but also teaching our children about instant gratification versus looking at the long term of things. We are a very right now immediate society. We want things right now and we don't necessarily think of the ramifications. We don't think about tomorrow. We don't think about 10 years from now. So in teaching your children, you have to teach them that this is the long game versus the short game, you know? And I, I think parents, I don't have children, but I have a whole lot to say <laughs> about raising kids. Just ask my friends. But I think parenting nowadays is so much more difficult because everything is that there's fingertips, everything. And our society is pushing toward more and more digitalization where it makes it harder, I believe, for parents to, to monitor and to really guide their children into where they want to go. Yeah, it, it's funny that you, that you talk about that because you know I, I'm thinking about um, not only in relation to the shopping, but then also what the children are consuming. Right. So you're talking about the social medias and, and everything like that. And so what they're seeing is their friends and celebrities and YouTube people and whatever uh, envisioning these glorified lifestyles, you know, whether it's I mean, you can bring about the, the normal stuff, right? You see the rappers with the fancy cars and all this kind of stuff. And and you kind of have to let them know and be like, hey, they probably rented that car. They don't really own it. The jewelry that they're wearing, they're renting it. They don't really own. It. And then, for, and for children, it's it's difficult because they see the they see that particular individual over and over and over again, and they're like, well, it has to be real. Like, why would they have it if it doesn't? They don't understand the, the background function of it. But um, the immediacy portion, like you talk about that, that instant gratification is, I think, is partially lost um, because it reminded me of. You're talking about like dating yourself, which is it's just almost the same way, right? Because I'm, I'm looking at my youngest and she has, she will probably have no idea or no concept of when watching on TV, a show isn't on right now. Because for her, it's going to be, what do you mean? Like there's YouTube, there's, there's Hulu, there's Netflix. What do you mean a show isn't on right now? Like. And so like when it translates to, to money, it's gonna be like, what do you mean you don't have $5? Like you have Cash App, you have Zelle, you have Venmo, you have you know your bank account, you have you know Google Pay apps or whatever the case may be, Apple Pay. Um, but it's that, I guess the function around money is how do we shape the mind so that way they understand that, hey, if I use my money right, I could make $2 turn to $4 if I wait a week or two weeks. Do you think that we can actually instill that or is it something that they just have to learn on their own? No, no, no. I think it's something that we can instill, we as parents and as a society, but I do strongly believe that it is something that the parents have to teach. And, and it's interesting because I remember telling my mom, we were at the store somewhere, and she, she told me this later because I don't, I don't remember, but we were at the store and I was like, mommy, I want whatever it was. And she was like, I don't have money for that. And I said, but you have checks. You have checks in your checkbook, right? So it's kind of the same thing with children. It just kind of it evolves in a, in a different setting. And she had to explain to me, no, the checks represent this and I need to have money behind the checks in order to write them. So the same concept with Cash App, Zelle or whatever, you have to look at what is in your banking checking account in order to do that. But you were talking about 
you know, the children and what they view and what they see. It's that whole issue of keeping up with the Joneses, you know, looking across the street and seeing the grass is greener on the other side. And then you get to the other side and you realize, well, it wasn't as green as what I thought it was. And I will share this with you. Maybe 10, 15 years ago, there was a, um, a reality show, and I don't even think we called it reality TV at that time, but she was the ex-wife of um, Simmons, the guy who used to do deaf comedy jams. I'm getting his name mixed uh, up. Camoralee uh, Simmons? Or Yes, she had a TV show, and I can't remember what it was, but it was a reality TV show, and I used to watch it. But I realized after watching it for about a month, I started to feel kind of bad because I didn't have what she had. I'm like, she has a fabulous life. She gives, and 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 I was like in my 30s, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, but she is the ex-wife of a mogul, and she's in, and I don't even know how much of this stuff is real. Why am I trying to compare myself to her? So I stopped watching it. And but but you look at what we consume on TV. Everything is the reality show. Why do I want to know about couples in Las Vegas? I can't even remember what the name of that show is. I don't care about them. And I'll be honest with you, I don't care about the Kardashians. I don't understand why they're so popular. I'm like, my, I, just, I just don't understand that. But parents have a hard job into really having their kids understand this is us. <laughs> this is who we are. And this is what I'm going to teach you. And that is TV. And what you see on TV, even in news now, isn't necessarily real. And also, what I was going to say, I um, remember watching a YouTube of Melanie Hobbs. I think that's her last name. She is, I want to say, a CEO or a CEO of Ariel Investment. She's African American. She's married to uh, the guy who created Star Wars. Oh, uh, Lucas. Yes, Mm -hmm. they're married, and um, she's big on finances. She's always been in investments, but she said, and I don't remember what school it is. I think they live in Chicago. They have gone into middle schools middle schools or elementary schools and have worked with children actually showing them how to invest their money and they follow them over the course of their school so from middle school to high school and they give them money to actually invest to show them how the stock market works if all schools could do something like that or if and 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 her 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 point was we don't learn this in school we're not taught how to manage money in school and why is that and so if we could have a curriculum in schools to assist parents you know that talk to children about money and how to manage money and how to save money and the value of money and the value of the things that you buy just because you can get five things for a dollar versus getting one thing you know, for $5, maybe the one thing for $5 is better quality is going to last long. So over time, you end up saving more money as opposed to getting something so cheap that'll break in two or three days and then you have to buy it again. You look at consumerism. How many times do you get a new iPhone when the latest iPhone comes out? You don't need one. You don't need one. But we get it every day. So it it's like this fog that is just all around us of consumerism where we think that we need all of this stuff and I think not just kids all of us we've lost the value of money we've lost the perspective of what is really important do I need this other widget or can I really do without it 
Yeah, it, it's it's taught it, it's perfectly put, right? Because I think um, there's this whole new kind of trend about minimalism. Like, do you need? Do you really need everything that, that you have? Um, I know I've I've experienced in, in my personal life. I have, of course. Me, it's like I have a project for this and a project for that, and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do this. And like every once in a while, I have to be like, I've been saying I was gonna do this for the last six months and I haven't gotten it done. Like, what's the point in me torturing myself about allegedly trying to get get to it when it's not gonna happen? Just let it go. Like, this isn't something obviously that's very important. Um, but I, I want to touch on a point that, that you brought up that I think was really excellent because it brought up a memory for me, which was teaching the curriculum in schools, right? And my high school economics teacher, um, which is one of the guys that really played into economics, and he would get the newspaper every day. And one of our grades and one of our projects was, he gave us all, I think it was like $100, like play money, 100 play, play dollars. And we played the stock market in class. And so you bought, you know, different stocks. And of course you could buy the expensive one, you know, um, and but you, you know, rode a little bit of a more fluid wave at the time. And so every day, the very first 30 minutes of class is everybody would get the newspaper. What did my stock do? Did it go up? Did it go down? Did I make money? Did I lose money? And it was, it was subtle and some people definitely didn't get it, but there was some people that understood, hey, this is how publicly traded companies work. I invest my money. I own a couple of shares of, you know, ABC Inc and you know things did well and next thing you know i you know i split my shares or whatever the case may be and it really got people engaged after the first we did it for about about four or five months and it really got people engaged because people would come in afterwards and be like hey how did my stocks do and it really just energized people about how their money worked and you know and they understood at that point like why people, why their parents cared so much about their 401ks and, and things like of that nature and what happens when stuff, when then he would turn on the TV and we would see the um, day traders going back and forth, but it was a really good way to get, you know, students engaged about money, understanding the value of it, how it could be beneficial for their, for their, um, um, for their well-being and their finances, and then also incorporated like world and trade things, how to invest in real estate and metals and all this kind of stuff. So it opened up a lot of different avenues there. And then of course I wanted to touch on the, um, you know, like the consumables, right? Uh, because you talked about like the new iPhone. And I remember I read a stat for, it wasn't, it was about two iPhones ago that the Apple was not going to provide the charger anymore or something like that. Um, or no, the dongle switched. So when you, the lightning cable went from a five bit prong to a four bit prong. So now all the older iPhones, the charger wouldn't work. And my niece was like, oh yeah, that's, that's great. It makes more sense and da, da 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 And I said, okay. I said, but when you buy the new one, you know how much money Apple is gonna make from charges alone? And she was like, that well, doesn't matter. Like they probably, and I was like, no. Just because they switched that, they're expected to make a hundred million dollars. Because all these people are gonna buy an iPhone that they don't need and then have to go buy a charger right behind it. So do you really need it? You know, and, and of course the wheels start running and churning and stuff like that. And so, you know, that brings me to my next kind of point that I wanna get your vibe on is how how do we relay those messages in a, in a way in which 
young children are gonna get them, are gonna grasp them, are gonna understand? Is it a like a experience type thing where we're gonna have to show them? Do we tell them? Do we, do, like, how, what's the best way to kind of get through to children, I guess you could say grade school, anywhere from five to, to um, yeah, maybe the 20 to 18 to young adults, for them to grasp it the best? Do we just point out the flaws in which we, when we see... To, to grasp what specifically? To, to grasp that sometimes things aren't all they're all cracked up to be. You see, um, like for example, just the, just the apple trick, you know, like how do we get them to understand that that particular person that they see on TV may be renting that stuff and not buying it? Or how do we understand it's better to save for quality? It's interesting, all sorts of ideas are like popping up in my mind. And one thing that I think that we are losing in our educational system, in our society, is teaching critical thinking, right? So critical thinking will, like what you did with the iPhone and the toggle switch, well, wait a minute, if I buy this, then that means, and you start looking at the pieces. When you look at our society, not just children, but our society now, we're no longer critical thinkers. We kind of just go off of what's being fed to us through the media, right? So part of teaching children is teaching them how to critically think. And the implication is parents will know how to critically think in order to teach that and pass that down to their children. And so you set up scenarios, right? Just like the conversation that you had. Parents need to do that with children early on. And not necessarily with money, but with everything, you know, in life. Almost everything can be a fun, teachable moment. And I remember my mom, because I grew up old school, you know, and my mom or dad would say, you know, you do X, Y, and Z. Well, I was the little kid that would always go, why? And the first response that I'd get was, because I'm the mama and I told you so. And, you know, I took that for a while, but after a while I said, I actually told my mother, I'm not questioning who you are. <laughs> I just wanna know the reason why you're telling me this so that I will learn from it. And then the next time I am faced with a decision, I kind of know how to approach it. And she kind of looked at me like, oh snap. I was like, but that was my rationale, you know? And so then she began, okay, I need you to do this because da 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 da, da. We're gonna do this because da, da da I need you to be ready on time at this time specifically because I'm gonna do the. And so that taught me how to think past just what's in my face and to, and to assume that there are things beyond me. And this is something that is really trivial, but it makes a difference to me. Very simple point. If I send you a text message. No, no, no. If you and I are working on a project, okay, and you say you're going to do X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to do A, B, and C, I go off and do my A, B, and C, but you've encountered a problem with X, Y, and Z, <clears throat> you don't even come back to me to say that I've not finished it. But we come to the program, and it's we're supposed to now put them together, and you're like, oh, yeah, I, I didn't finish it. In my opinion, it's like you're not doing the critical thinking of how important is my piece to adding to Greta's piece so that she can put it together. And because I know the different hoops that other people have, let me at least come to the table early enough to say, hey, I have a problem. 
need you to help me. We're so into who we are. We're a self-centered society. We forget that we connect with everyone else. And to me, that, that goes into critical thinking. That's realizing that you're part of a community, you're part of a society, and really to think past the first level of things, looking at the second and the third level of things. It, uh, the second and the third level is, I think, where the, where the nuggets are, right? Because it, it allows you to not only understand where your place is, and to your point, talking about a very self-centered self um, society, but it allows you to kind of figure out and navigate where and how you fit in and how best to use your skills appropriately, right? So in that project, you know, it would, it's probably best route to say, hey, listen, time out just to let you know I'm having difficulties with these. And then that way we can come together to be able to solve a problem better um, instead of staying in the silo and then all of a sudden at the end encountering um, an issue or a problem. So I think it's broken down to that communication piece of how, you know, to say what's the thought process behind the reasons that you're doing things, those critical thinking skills, you know, and I think it's a huge portion to be able to just stop for a moment, you know, when kids are talking about, I want X and I want the next PS4 and the next PS5 and, you know, mommy buy me a car or something. Okay, let's walk through the whys in which you want to do these things. Is it because you legitimately want it? Do you, is it because you think it will get you something? You know, buy you a specific uh, status or class or something or make you look a certain way or appear a certain way? Um, you know, what's, what's the thought process behind it? And then when you start to unpack those layers, oftentimes I've found that children seem to kind of understand, well, the reason that I want it really isn't that important. Like, dude, is, is it something that I really, do I really legitimately want it? Um, and then also understanding everything that comes with it. Because I think um, children oftentimes only see the item for what it is and not the responsibilities, you know? Yes, there's plenty like of, taking care of a dog. Taking care of a dog, perfect. <laughs> I want a dog. Yes, <laughs> my bonus daughter says the same thing. Can we get a dog, can we get it? And then first, like, no, I'm allergic. I don't feel like dying. Um, or just being like constantly in allergy, you know, having allergies all over the place. I said, because, and I told her straight up, I said, who's gonna be taking out the poop? I said, who's gonna need to go take it when it needs to get shots? Who's gonna be walking? And she's like, oh, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. I said, what happens when you're not here? You know, and it's it's these things that kind of unpack you know, kind of her mind, and she's like, well, oh, well, and I'm like, these, these are the, if you want it. You know, oftentimes the other analogy is for, you know, a little bit older age kids that are giving me 14, 15, 16, oh, I want a car, I want a car. Well, you gotta pay for car insurance. I can do the car registration, you know, and, you know, inciting these things is like, mommy and daddy aren't an open bank account either, you know? Um, and I think that's probably where some parents potentially fall short or could do better. Yes. They're just letting yes. them know and be like, listen, I, what you see on TV is not the life that we have. And that's mm -hmm. okay. That's perfectly it's fine. It's okay. That's... The majority of us live like we do. Yes. <laughs> we don't live like what we, you, what, you know, what you see on TV is the 1%. Yes. Everybody else lives like us. It's the glamorizations <laughs> of, of everything. And, often, and oftentimes, even those 1% that you might be seeing don't, don't yeah. that a lot of them could be yeah. camera tricks or, or this, that, and yeah. the next. 
Um, yeah. It's I, I um, mentor a, a little girl next door. Um, my neighbors, one of my neighbors, they foster um, a teenage girl now, and I would take her out every month, and we'd go and we'd chit chat. Of course, now COVID, that's kind of put on pause, but. I would always tell her that her biggest, her job right now was school, was to get good grades in school. I said, because I'm telling you, once you become an adult, it's not as easy as you think it is because then now, once you become an adult, all of, all of the responsibilities will be on you. So you may think you wanna hurry up and get out of the house, you wanna do this and that, but get good grades, cherish this time, because when you become an adult, if you don't do what you need to do in high school, because that's where she is now, you being an adult will be difficult. And it won't be all that it is cracked up to be. But she sees me, you know, I'm single, I have my house, I have my dream car, you know, I'm living my dream. But I did what I was supposed to have done. And so trying to instill that with her and talking about money, working with my neighbors, we were teaching her the envelope program which is really old school where you have envelopes for certain things and they would give her an allowance she had um she has a checking account and she would put the money in and so I would talk she was like well I got ten dollars in my miscellaneous account and I want to save it up because they're going to have a high school dance and I was like okay and so it was nice watching her go through that program yeah it's um Having the ability to save is, is an interesting thing. Like like another store from from Bonus Daughter, she has a you know one of those water jugs or something like that to where you know she puts the little pennies, little coins, and stuff like that. And she understands the value of going in to save. Now, of course, she gets birthday money, and um, I she wanted to buy an application um, or a little bonus pack for um, a computer game that she was playing, and. I think it was like five or 10 bucks and she paints on the side and she was gonna sell the painting. And she's like, yeah, I'm gonna buy this program. And I said, okay, well, what is that? What is that $5 gonna get you in the program? And she's like, oh yeah, it's gonna give me this, this, and this. I said, okay, well, what if you bought art supplies, made more paintings and sell those paintings to make more money? And she's like, I can do that? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> And she's like, oh yeah. And she's like, then I could get like $15 and then I could buy the application. I said, yes, that is true. Mm -hmm. I was like, or you could take that $15, buy more art supplies and sell more paintings. <laughs> and we went over this. But she's like, when am I gonna get to spend some exactly. money? Exactly, <laughs> when am I gonna get to spend this thing? And, and I keep telling him like, if you continue to do this. And she's like, well, I keep going, I keep going, but I, 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 I never get the, the, um, the application. I said, that's true, you might not but you might find that you enjoy making money more than you do this application. I said, because what happens after you buy that first application? She's like, well, then there's another pack for $10. And I said, okay, well then all of a sudden it's $5 and $10. I said, how much is five and 10? And she's like, that's 15. I said, okay, well then they've just taken $15 from you. What did you get from it? She's like, well, nothing. I said, okay. I was like, do you see how these might not line up after a while. I was like, you just keep giving them your money. I was like, why don't you make some money for you? And of course, then the light goes off and then, you know, she's, you know, she's thinking about what I'm gonna paint and what I'm gonna draw and all this kind of stuff. But in the back of her mind, I can still see she wants that application real bad. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's changing that, that, uh, that shift. Um, 
Now, I don't know, I guess it's different for every child and, and how to go about doing that, how to, how to hold their interest to something. I think you do have to attach it to, you know, something that they really want, right? Something, something that's gonna pique their interest and kind of speak their language about how to best do it. And I think, you know, we should be able to enjoy the money that we make. And so for her to say, well, okay, after I've painted 20 paintings, I want to be able to buy my application or whatever, yeah. you know, it is. You are supposed to be able to enjoy your money because I don't want to live in a society where everyone just works, 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 works just to make money, just to make money. That's a problem in and of itself. But there should be balance, right? And so sometimes, you know, you can acknowledge, well, this is a quick gratification, whatever it is. But I really want it. And I know that, you know, it's, it's a one-time thing and I'm just going to get it versus something is a little more of an investment. I mean, there's a balance in all of that. In teaching children, it, it, it's a difficult task because you have to look at your child. You have to look at the resources that you have within your community, within your household, you know, within your school districts as to how best you can do that, you know. And then you, you set aside the hard lessons. And sometimes I think it's best for parents to learn this simple word, no, no, no. <laughs> it's like you can say it with me, no. You don't have to get your children everything. Teach them how to be okay with not having all of these devices around. Studies are coming out that are showing that children are more anxious than they were before, but you think about it. Our phones are always on, you got the TV, you got all this stuff. I turned my phone on. I'm like, I'm not that important. Now, when I was on active duty, I had a job where I had a Blackberry, I had to keep that on. Understood. But I'm like, if you, if you need to contact me between midnight, like, what am I gonna be doing between, so, you know, I just turned my phone on. I'm like, I'm just not that important. But people leave their phones on and, oh, but I'm going to, it's my alarm. Yeah, right. You know, they're right. And so we're creating this, I don't, I don't know what kind of society it is that we're creating, but we're anxious. We want stuff right now. We don't know how to communicate with each other. We don't necessarily know the value of money. And, and, and we're not able to relate to one another, you know? We're just not satisfied. Yeah, and the satisfaction is, I think, a something that has gone by the wayside, right? Very quickly, very frequently, and the ability to always want more is just being kind of rammed down our throats by everything that we consume on a regular. I had to do an assessment of, I like things right now too, and when I get on a project, it's like, okay, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, and I get all this stuff and I start doing it, and usually I complete things, but then it's like, okay, now I'm going off to the next thing. It's like, can you learn just to be still? And with all this plethora of stuff that you have around you, I'm sure you can entertain yourself. It, you know, and so just to be chill. And so I'm having to learn that all over again. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you were talking about that be still moment and I found that that's actually a little being quite lost, I feel, on the next generation. There's so much gratification, whether it is that they're shopping or they have to be doing something, but the attention constantly has to be held by something. It's always being scrolled by Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat or, of course, the newest one is TikTok and uh, YouTube and all those kinds of things. And, you know, I, I remember when I was young, growing up, the ability to 
just not do anything was it was magical you know <laughs> just just it was magical um and the thing is i was never a huge reader i just for some reason reading was something that kind of bored me but um in teaching kids how to just be uh, critical thinkers like you talked about and just being themselves i think there also needs to be a refresh on how to detach you know from the things that they consume on a regular basis and enjoy natural things that actually exist you know for example if you're going on a hike or you go into the beach enjoy the waves you don't have to take a picture of it you know it's <laughs> enjoy the mountains the or the hike yeah or with you in the picture or a selfie or, or or you know you live in this lifestyle look at this ma magical you know sand castle with my bikini on or whatever <laughs> case like, it, not, not everything has to be documented some things just you need to just take in and and see on your brain let it etch it in your mind and be okay with it you know um I don't know. And then the other one that you, you talked about was the learning is a job thing. And I, I've heard um, my significant other talk to her daughter that way and, and kind of illustrate to her that, you know, for you, from the time that you're zero to school age or finishing school age, your primary objective is to learn. And not only to learn what's in the textbooks, but to learn how life works. And a huge portion of how life works is how money translates throughout the world and having them understand that is will open up their mind so much about why people do the things they do i agree i'm touching what you initially talked about being still and you know talking about all of the things that grab our attention remember when the first i think it was a minivan that came off the the assembly line and it had the videos in the back you can't even ride in your car without having entertainment i'm like is that not dangerous so you know everything everything is grasping for our attention and and to me it just makes us less likely to be able to interact with each other because we have somebody in front of us which fosters the whole premise i was trying to bring about of critical thinking well i don't have to think critically because it's all right here in front of me, right? I remember reading an article, ooh, I wanna say it was back in 2008, I was stationed in Philadelphia. And it was, the gist of the article was, are we as middle-class families hindering our children because we have all of this play dates and we've scheduled them for soccer and then they have this and then they have that and they have this and I got to do this and parents are now running around like crazy but the article the guy talked about I remember during the summer where there wasn't anything to do and what I would do is I'd get up mom would have breakfast ready I'd eat breakfast and I'd ask her, well, what am I gonna do today? And she'd say, I don't know, what are you gonna do today? She said, so I would get on the phone and I'd call Billy down the street and then he'd call Jason, whatever. We'd meet at the park and we'd play games. These were boys. And we learned how to play baseball. But in doing that, we learned how to socialize. We learned how to play organized games. We also, he said, they also learned how to settle disputes because you know that ball was all of that stuff that makes a society functioning as an adult you're really learning it as a child but now are our children's doing that no because we're feeding them all sorts you know it's just it's it's 
it's mind-boggling to me, especially as a person who doesn't have children. And I remember the issue when you had the people yelling at the coaches during children's games. Do you remember that? That was a couple years ago. It was just like, where are we going as a society? So it's no wonder that our children and the generations that are coming up are as detached or instant gratification. You know, it, it's no wonder because we contributed to this by the way we raised them. That's a profound point that I, I don't think manifests because it oftentimes forces us as adults to look inwards on the things that we've created. And we always want to feel like we've created things that are good, positive and magical. But at times we have to be honest with ourselves and say, hey, maybe we weren't exactly the best. Maybe we could have done things a little bit better. And it's hard to, for, for people to acknowledge that maybe I made a mistake, but in doing so, you know, you're able to pass along that humility to say, hey, listen, I may have taught you this at this particular time, but now looking back, it might not have been the best method to be able to instill that particular value. And so I wanna talk with you and let's have a conversation about what you think about it and let's see how we can progress appropriately to make sure that we both are at a better place afterwards. Yeah, that's good. And they get to see, my parent actually came back to me and said that they made a mistake, right? It shows humility, but it also, we're not all perfect. And to be able to come back and say, mm, I need a redo, because that, that, was, that was an error. I think that's a very adult thing to do. <laughs> a <laughs> and you just like you talk about, to do. A mature you talk thing about, to do. Like, you need to have that ability to be able to solve disputes and realize that you're not always right. Like exactly. nobody is always right. So um, it's good that you, that you mentioned that. But to wrap up, we wanna be respectful of your time. So I'm just gonna hit a couple of the points that we got to today. Let me know if I miss anything. So in, our, in the conversation about how to instill better monetary values with our children, we wanna talk about teaching them the value of money. So that can be done through individual examples, that can be done through um, school and instilling curriculum in schools that might be able to be beneficial to help them teach and or learn. We can um, show them how to critically think, not only for themselves, but then also in specific situations about how the financial decisions that they're making can better impact their future in a positive way. Um, and then while also potentially delaying gratification um, at a reasonable rate. Uh, we wanna ask why when they want to um, either purchase things or when they wanna make financial decisions when they're young so that way we can help them show and unpack the reasons why they're making the financial decisions um, that they have to. And then also to, to couple that is to encourage them to sit with decisions and be still in the moment so that way they can really understand the magnitude of, of um, what they're trying to accomplish. Did I miss anything? I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I would just say it's becoming harder and harder um, in society. We're going to cashless societies. I think it's Denmark who basically doesn't have you know any cash. And so it's really important, I think, for us as Americans to seize this moment, to recognize that managing money is something that we need to be teaching early on, early on. Greta, I gotta, I gotta say thank you to 
you know, to you to bring in all of your your, your insights and your wisdom and your points. I could only have come up with definitely a, a handful of these or, or so, or two or three of these by myself, but, you know, bouncing them back and forth with you and coming up with a different perspective has been huge and enlightening. So I appreciate you, you know, coming on the show and being a part of everything and uh, hope we can do it again. Yay, I had fun. <laughs> had fun thank you so much this was wonderful i like to talk so you know give me a platform and i'll just go for it (laughs) (laughs) excellent well to all you listeners out there thank you for listening we'll definitely um put all these in our blog posts soon you can always interact with us using the hashtag at ideaprov or hit our website at ideaprov.live and then stay tuned after break for the ideaprov insight For this idea prop inside, I wanted to share with you the idea of squatting. So it's not a new idea, it's been around for a long time and has some really heavy evolutionary tactics to it, but um, in the Western world, we've kind of evolved away from it. And this you know, requires standing on two feet and then putting your butt all the way to the ground, just as you would with a normal deep squat if you're exercising. But this has some really good health benefits from increasing blood flow and then also increasing the synovial fluid, which is the fluid that's in your knees and elbows and joints. And by doing this on a regular basis, can you actually increase your life expectancy anywhere between three and five years according to some studies so i want to share that in a different way to kind of get the body moving and in a healthier sort of way in different positions that we're more accustomed to or that our bodies are naturally supposed to do so i want to share that so that way we can kind of get everybody a little bit healthier until next time